Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Our scripture reading for this third Sunday of the Easter season is from Luke's gospel. I'll be reading from chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. Now, on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went to them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, what things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women in our group astounded us. They were at the the tomb early this morning. And when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb, found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe that all the pro- what all the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near to the village where they were going, he he walked ahead as if he were going on, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, because it's almost evening, the day is now almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. They recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the Scripture to us? That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem And they have found the eleven and their companions gathered together, and they were saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. 
Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Some others of you grew up watching Gilligan's Island on television. You remember that it was supposed to be a three-hour tour. But the weather started getting rough and the tiny ship was tossed. And so uh, Lovey and the professor and all them get stranded on this island. Well, if you did grow up watching Gilligan's Island, do, do you remember the episode when they almost got off the island? They were almost rescued. But then the skipper's little buddy Gilligan did something that was really lame-brained, and it blew their chances of rescue, and alas, they were stuck on the island still. Well, if you watched any episode of Gilligan's Island, then you watched that episode, right? Because nearly every episode of Gilligan's Island had exactly the same plot. Every storyteller has a plot line, a, a storyline, a, a spine that holds the story together. Journalist Christopher Booker wrote a book making the case that there are really only seven basic plot lines and that every story is some variation of these seven. I won't do all seven, but just, I mean, just to give you a flavor of what he's saying. He says, one of the plot lines is overcoming the monster. There's a good guy and a bad guy, right? The James Bond movies, uh, Star Wars, the guns of Navarone. There's several variations of the theme overcoming the monster, the great threat that's out there that is overcome. Another basic plot, he says, is rags to riches, Pretty Woman, Great Expectations, Cinderella. In Booker's categories, the Gospel of Luke and its companion volume, Acts, take the form of quest. Luke and Acts both are a travelogue. The action in Luke and Acts happen on the way. You should read both of those volumes with an atlas in your hand. Because they're always on the move. In Acts, Acts is always seeming to happen on the way, on the way to uh, Damascus, on the Damascus Road, or away from Antioch. When the, when the gospel spreads in, in Acts, it goes from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Get your atlas if you're reading Acts. But get your atlas if you're reading Luke too, because Luke is also a travelogue. It's a journey happening along the way. And the most significant of the journeys in Luke's gospel begins in chapter 9, verse 51, as Jesus starts toward his purpose. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. The climax of the story is Jerusalem. Jesus' purpose, his fulfillment of his mission will take place during the week of Passover in Jerusalem. And from chapter 9 on, Jesus is headed to Jerusalem.
It, it takes him 85 miles and 408 verses to travel from Galilee to Jerusalem. And on the way, he is in ministry at the places he's going. He enters a certain village, enters the house of a Pharisee, teaches in a synagogue. But all along the travelogue, Luke doesn't want us to forget that he's going somewhere. He's got a purpose. He is headed to Jerusalem. Chapter 13, I must be on my way because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside Jerusalem. Chapter 17, while traveling toward Jerusalem, he passed through the region between Samaria and Galilee. Chapter 18, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. Chapter 19, and saying these things, he was going ahead, going up to Jerusalem. So, has Luke convinced you yet? Jesus understands that his purpose lies in Jerusalem. And Jesus has set his face clearly to go there. Jerusalem, where the trial, the crucifixion, the burial, and then the climax of the story, the empty tomb. The resurrection fulfills the great purpose of Jesus. So, now to our story for today. After the resurrection, we have this heartbreaking story of two companions who are walking the seven miles to Emmaus. And this story is told as travelogue too. They were Jesus' followers. They were aware of the crucifixion. But they just did not believe the women's uh, testimony that he had risen from the dead. And who can blame them? But they are still in the wake of this grief, in the fog of grief, in their disillusionment. And they're walking with slow feet and heavy hearts to Emmaus. A stranger approaches them on the way. Ask them what they're talking about. Ask them why they're so sad. They say, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know? And then one of the saddest lines in all of Scripture. But we had hoped, we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. They had put their trust in Jesus, believed he was the Savior, and now they're walking in sadness toward Emmaus, seven miles out from town. Disillusionment can do that. One day you're waving palm branches, jobs are plentiful, the stock market is soaring, friends come over, the kids play in the backyard, the grown-ups fire up the barbecue. One day you're shouting, Hosanna, you're going and coming as you like, you're hugging people at church, and there's plenty of toilet paper. One day everything looks great, and now disillusionment. You don't know what's next. So they walk with sadness to Emmaus, saying we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. Now look. 
I mentioned that it would be a good idea to read Luke with an atlas in your lap, only you would not find Emmaus on your atlas. Isn't that strange? Don't you think that's strange? That a travelogue with all of these identifiable cities and regions and points on the map with clear historical reference, and there's no Emmaus. In the grief and disillusionment of the current crisis, they were having a conversation on a road to nowhere. There is some poetry here that I just don't fully know what to do with. All along, Luke has been telling us that Jesus knows his purpose. His face is going to Jerusalem. His mission, his purpose, all of it lies in the commitment he has to Jerusalem. And following the resurrection, there are two traveling away from Jerusalem, on a road that goes to nowhere. What do you make of that? What what are they going back to? Fishing? Sales goals? uh, Appointments? Oil changes? Rat races? Does it matter? Does any of it really even matter if there is no guiding loyalty, no North Star, no ultimate truth, no commitments worth giving your life to. During these weeks of quarantine, I've been reading David Brooks' book, The Second Mountain. I I liked it a lot. His premise is that the first mountain that people climb is a mountain of acquisition But he maintains that those people who live full, complete lives climb a second mountain, the mountain of contribution. And one of the lines in that book about the second mountain reminded me of this passage from Emmaus. He said that the second mountain is made up of these things. You love things that are worthy of love. You surrender to a community or a cause. Make promises to other people. Build a thick jungle of loving attachments. You lose yourself in the daily act of serving others as they lose themselves in the daily acts of serving you. That sounds a little bit like church, doesn't it? Throughout Luke's gospel, Jesus has been marching toward community and cause, making promises, building attachments, losing himself in the service of others. And Cleopas and his fellow traveler were on a road to nowhere. As they got to the village... Cleopas and his companion urged the stranger to stay with them. It it was late anyway. So the stranger agrees. They sit at the table to grab a bite before heading to bed. And the stranger takes the bread, blesses it, breaks it, gives it to them, and in that moment their eyes are opened. 
with clear hints of the communion meal, they recognize in the breaking of the bread that the stranger is not a stranger at all. The stranger is the risen Christ among them. Those women were right after all. And he vanished. He vanished immediately upon the realization that they had, that they had just encountered the risen one. What can the risen Christ mean to people who feel hopeless? What is the disappointment and disillusionment of this pandemic going to do to us? Well, I think it's going to do one of two things. Either we will walk further into disillusionment, shuffling our feet on a dusty road to nowhere, or we will recommit to the things that matter most. And you and I have the power to choose. Here's what the two travelers chose. That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord is risen indeed and he has appeared to Simon. You see, because of an encounter with the risen Lord, they reversed course. They were no longer on a road to Emmaus, on a road that led to nowhere. They turned around and went toward the community. They went toward proclamation and purpose. That same hour, they recommitted to the things that endure. The disillusionment was transformed into some purpose, and they turned around and made a journey back to what matters. It would be a beautiful use of our time, this solitary time when we have a lot of time apart from each other, alone, if we looked deep into our values. The poet said, he who would search for pearls must dive low. Before the stadium lights come back on and the carnival rides start back up, what really matters to you? For, for me, I, I like the language that David Brooks had. You love things that are worthy of love. You surrender to a community or a cause. You make promises to other people. Build a thick jungle of loving attachments. You lose yourself in the daily act of serving others. That sounds like gospel to me. It sounds like church. It's a very personal question. We'll all answer it differently. But what work do you need to do during this unusual time to go deep and reflect on purpose and community, things that endure, things that matter? And what would a first step toward Jerusalem look like for you? How will you move into purpose and into community before we're back together again?
Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church.